The AFEM Industry Insider is brought to you by This Is Distorted, the world's biggest producer and syndicator of electronic music programs and podcasts. For more information, go to thisisdistorted.com or at This Is Distorted on socials. On air, on demand, on brand. This is Distorted. <laughs> is the Industry Insider from the Association of Electronic Music. The AFEM Industry Insider. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode four of the Industry Insider from the Association for Electronic Music, the global trade body representing the entire ecosystem of electronic music, from small startups to huge global companies, artists, and individuals in all the weird and wonderful areas of our amazing, exciting, creative industry. I'm Andy Durant, and this month we're talking about NFTs, along with an update from Greg Marshall about what's been going on within the AFEM in the last few months, and a little member profile from Ines Martinez from We Are All Equal. Some really interesting and essential stuff if you're in the business of electronic music. Now, NFTs have been around for a while, but the scene and the concept has kind of really exploded onto our industry this year. So in this discussion, recorded as part of a big group call at the end of July, we tried to cover off all the basics and explain what NFTs are, what opportunities and potential challenges they might present for creators in the wider electronic music industry, and separate the hype from the reality as well. We had three experts to guide us through it, from Beatport, Heiko Hoffman, from Record Shop, Paula van der Werden, uh, John Wonder from Accelerator, Inda Full from Pixel Inks, giving us the legal lowdown, the brilliant Dina LaPolte from LaPolte Law, and representing Vibrate, and giving us the artist perspective, one of the most influential and respected techno and electronic producers around Umek. And we kicked it off with Inda Full, giving us a little scene setter on what exactly an NFT is, what it's for, and what it does. Yeah, NFTs, as you mentioned, one of the hottest topics of 2021. Um, the space feels like it basically blew up overnight. Generally, most people associate NFTs with digital art and collectibles, but there are many organizations working on creating real-world use cases outside of just digital art that are very applicable to the music industry. And like I said, goes way beyond the spectrum of selling JPEGs for thousands of dollars. So what is an NFT? NFT stands for non-fungible token. And I think the best way to start understanding what NFT actually means is describing the concept of fungibility. So a fungible asset is basically something that's interchangeable. So for example, money or Bitcoin, if I gave you $10 and you gave me back two $5 bills, there wouldn't be an issue with that transaction. No one would challenge it because even though technically the notes are different, the value is comparable and the same. So fungible basically implies that the assets are of the same value. Now, non-fungible is the total opposite of that. Basically, non-fungible assets are not as easily comparable, and each NFT or non-fungible asset is unique. Um, So, for example, you can easily swap a Mona Lisa painting for a Banksy because they're not comparable. Even though they're both paintings, let's say, in this context, each one is individual and unique, and the value is ascribed in a completely arbitrary way in some cases. So that's the first key point to consider about what NFTs are. Each one of them is unique. That's interesting in its own right, but I think the part of NFTs that everyone really gets excited about in the long term is the the token aspect. So non-fungible, the first two letters, NF, it's really the T aspect that really is where you'll see most of the innovation. So the token aspect um, is basically, you can imagine it as a digital contract that can be used to prove ownership over an NFT or an asset. These aren't contracts in the traditional sense. They're basically called smart contracts that are written in code and stored on the blockchain. It's in these contracts where really interesting, useful information is held. For example, who is the current owner? Who are the past owners? uh, Who is the original creator? And a ton of other points of metadata or information can be stored in these contracts. The reason why it's this really exciting innovation in, in blockchain in general and wider industries is First of all, the contract is really difficult to hack, which makes it, on the one hand, really uh, trustworthy, but also makes it quite easy to prove ownership. The use cases are super broad um, in the music industry. I think we'll see them being used across a number of sectors, from ticketing in live events to distribution of royalties, and even the transfer of assets or catalogs, for example. Um, Because a smart contract is created using code, it allows for certain processes to be automated. And this is, again, a really important point. So... 
Certain things can be automated through computation, for example, revenue shares or certain accounting um, principles. So we're going to go into all of this in more detail um, throughout the talk. But to summarize, an NFT is a unique asset that's stored on the blockchain using a smart contract. The smart contract is difficult to hack and can easily prove ownership whilst allowing for the ability to automate certain processes like revenue shares. Uh, the technology has a huge potential to disrupt almost every sector, including music. And it really has a lot of support because it's going to, what we think is, it will create a lot more transparency and trust in different ecosystems. So that is my one page summary of NFTs. I'll, Perfect. I'll pass it on. Thank you very much, Inder. So um, Paula and John, maybe you'd like to start by fielding this one, but can you try and define in, in two or three sentences what are the most exciting, what, what's kind of most exciting to you about the NFT format? I'm hearing from artists, and what I find most exciting about it is that the NFT format allows you to have a, a deeper relationship, a direct-to-fan relationship. Um, so artists are connecting directly with their fans. Um, fans have a closer connection and feel like they can support that artist. Um, and there's also um, different types of things that are being sold in an NFT. It's not just like a track. It's not just a merch. I've seen cases on our store where uh, there's digital and physical goods. So I think it offers a more unique product, digital and physical, uh, to the fan. The other thing, uh, artists have full control. Uh, this is what I think is, is probably the biggest attribute uh, to NFTs for artists and creators they can control the price, uh, they can control the sharing, who gets paid what, they can control the ongoing royalties. They can set it from zero to 15% and get paid every time the NFT may be sold in the secondary market. And it's trustless. This is the coolest thing about it. Once that NFT is bought, no one has to depend on each other to pay each other. Immediately, the money is transferred to everybody's wallets who, who, who gets paid. So the artist, maybe the the visual creator, uh, maybe there is a label involved. In some cases, we've seen that. Everybody just gets paid like bang immediately. I think that's amazing. It's trustless. And uh, Ender, you, you had mentioned this. Um, it's on the blockchain. It's decentralized. So the, uh, the information that's put on the block is authentic. Authenticity of ownership on the blockchain is going to be, I, I think, really important going forward, especially around music rights and who owns what. Well, I have to agree with John here. I think he summed it up uh, pretty uh, well. Those are the things that get me very excited as well. The one thing uh, that I would like to add to that is the fact that it you can, you're able to create scarcity again on the blockchain. So whereas now we do a lot of our music is available in unlimited availability, because of the blockchain, we can basically say we're only going to make 500 of something or 50 of something or five of something, which we're not really able to do at the moment when it comes to digital assets uh, on its own. We're used to it when we had fiscal inventory, compare it to like vinyl, where you would have a hundred press pressed and the value would go up. And when we entered the digital music, that kind of went into this unlimited availability, which also devalued the, the musical asset. And I think what blockchain allows us to do uh, by creating these limited editions will also make sure that we actually can put value into uh, products like a music release and all the collectibles around it. Uh, Heike, I don't know whether you want to add anything to that, but why do we think this this format in particular is of interest to the electronic music industry and to our music creators and businesses? How do it? How does it fit into what we do? Yeah, thank you, Andy. Um, I think there was a recent report by the industry writer Sherry Hu, and she said that so far, I think it's about eighty percent of all music NFT sales have been by electronic music artists, which is, I mean, quite a striking number if you look at the overall music industry. But for me, it's not really a surprise for a number of reasons. Uh, maybe the first one is that a lot of electronic music um, producers or artists consider themselves as early adopters. I mean, they, they already make digital art, so it makes sense to make it um, available in new digital forms maybe more readily so than, let's say, if you're a singer-songwriter or violinist. Um, and that also comes along that a lot of the buyers are maybe um, 
yeah have a have a strong interest in electronic music um too then a lot of the um artists that have done sales uh, and nft drops are solo artists and i think that also fits together well with electronic musicians and it's maybe easier to do an nft drop if you're a solo artist than if you have to speak to a whole band or ensemble um first and then also a vast number of electronic music artists are independent artists. They are not signed to exclusive contracts and they have control over the rights to their own music. So it's, I think, also more easy for them to do. And then the last reason for me is that a lot of the NFT drops that have been successful in the music world that we've seen over the last couple of months also had a strong visual element to it. And I think a lot of the successful drops were with um, electronic musicians that have a big affinity to visual arts as well. And that could be in the form of record sleeves or to their live shows. Uh, so I think there's just a natural combination between visual art and, and, and electronic um, music. And then, I mean, for example, we as Beatport have, have, have done an NFT drop ourselves um, two months ago. And Beatport is the biggest platform out there for electronic music. Our main product that we offer is uh, we sell music as digital files. So we also see NFTs as a kind of logical extension of what we're offering. It's just what Paula said, it's um, adding the element of scarcity uh, to this. So it's like a limited download. So one for Umek maybe, I mean, there's, there's lots of different types of NFT, like we've, we've talked about collectible digital art, there's artifacts for games, video clips, music, visual experiences, through to album sales with, you know, physical merch bundles and uh, all that kind of thing. What forms do you think are most sort of relevant for creators, artists, labels in the electronic music world? Yeah, I'm just going to mention um, what we've done with the Vibrate uh, and that is actually, we offered first uh, gig uh, on NFT first, live stream NFT. And actually, um, I did a limited uh, one copy of my um, Lenicore version, which was just, just one copy. So uh, you can do kind of collectibles, as I just mentioned, for the Lenicore version. Um, a special track that I've done in 2000 and I've done a version which was never heard. And um, there's only one person who owns uh, one copy of that. And then because of the Corona, a lot of artists uh, were couldn't um, do gigs. And I was thinking like what we could do to change that. And um, we offered um, the live uh, live gig and the uh, live stream. Now, um, live streams are here to stay. It's not the same thing, you know, as a live gig, obviously. I don't want to compare that. But once the Corona is gone, the live streams are here to stay in one form or in another. So basically now imagine maybe you are 45 years old as I am, and maybe you are DJ with, with family and you can easily book um, some live streams and uh, you can sell it in NFTs. And then what's the difference between the regular um, uh, stream and um, the one in NFT? The difference is the what artist is, is making it different than to the, to the regular stream. So you can do kind of digital meet and greet you can have a digital beer with 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 uh, with the guys on the other side. You know, you can talk with them. You know, and you can do special sets that you, you wouldn't do. Um, um, you can maybe uh, do a, a musical wish where somebody asks for a track that you wouldn't play, for example. Um, so, in 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 short, uh, you can make your stream as interesting as possible. Um, so, I think this is where we could go. Um, so, Inda and uh, Paula, it. I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate. It could be argued that NFTs that provide the the buyer with those sort of bundled experiences, so like VIP, VIP access to shows or limited edition merch along with a music purchase, could just as easily be achieved on, on Bandcamp or any other director fan sites. I mean, if I was kind of taking it to the to the, the furthest that I could, I'd say, why can you not just print off, you know, like a one-off credit card or VIP pass that does the same thing and people could sell it on eBay and swap it around like that? What So what is, I guess kind of what I'm asking is, what's the additional value in the NFT kind of format? You actually already addressed it in there, Andy, by saying I could sell it on eBay because what the blockchains allows is you can sell something on the secondary marketplace but the revenue generated over that secondary sale, a commission of that could actually go back to the artist. So it means if, say, we're talking about a ticket to an event and it's being sold and it triples uh, in price on the secondary marketplace, 
What the blockchain technology allows through smart contracts is that actually part of that revenue could be going back to the creator or the promoter. And that's what you, you aren't able to do on Bandcamp uh, at the moment. So I think that's one of the major differences. To me, the part that's really exciting is like, you know, bundling of experiences and, you know, that's just really scratching the surface of what's possible. I mean, underneath, underneath this is a technology that is going to be adopted arguably by a number of different vendors or platforms. So you can then use the NFT to unlock new experiences and start adding and layering on your experiences over time. Whereas just bundling and giving away redemption codes to unlock a ticket or to do something like that is, is really quite simplistic. I think that the bigger picture has to be about the ecosystem, right? NFTs and blockchain technology is this stack that allows for some sort of interoperability, platforms to be able to speak to each other. And so over time, this NFT performs as this kind of like a key that can continue unlocking more and more experiences in an automated fashion. It doesn't need the traditional you know, email approach to, for example, deliver some sort of value, and so there's one way of thinking about it is think about an ecosystem and all of these systems are using different databases. But over time, if people start adopting blockchain, suddenly there's some consistency in the systems that people are using. And you can then basically enhance how these experiences work together with elements of automation and more technological advancement. So that's one thing I think it's super important to not look at the kind of immediacy of what's happening right now and think five years down the line when everyone might be using systems that can talk to each other and will allow for some level of automation and, and intricacy. So the one thing I would give, give an example of is, okay, great, you've bundled on these experiences of a VIP pass and a free ticket and so on. But a year later, you decide to launch a virtual world and you can then reward your NFT holders with some level of utility inside this virtual world you've launched. So the technology scales over time and you can start building your ecosystem around this concept of an NFT and start rewarding people in different ways that you just couldn't do in these traditional systems because they're all so siloed. And I think that's the beauty of NFT technology is this idea of interoperability that systems can now speak to each other in ways that maybe weren't as possible before. I would like to say that it's, it's, it's easy with NFTs um, for handle them once you're in crypto uh, in crypto world, you know, as you said, guys, it's super, uh, super hard with 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 existing systems right now. But once once you have, uh, I don't know, an art on an, on a track on the on your uh, wallet, then you can easily go from OpenSea to to other markets where you can easily sell it, and that's that's where where it comes really handy. It's uh, transferable. Um, it's so so easy to transfer it here from uh, one one person to another, and you can trace it. You know, you can trace it way back, and this is where um, the value is, I guess. You know, I just wanted to weigh in here because um, I think that the mo one of the most promising areas for NFTs is the scalp is the ticket sales, the event ticket sales, because the scalping market is a huge problem right now for fans often making fans pay exorbitant amounts of money for tickets and then face, you know, rather than the face value because of the resale market. With NFTs, the artists and the venues could cap the resale price and the smart contracts so no one could resell a ticket for more than the face value, taking away scalpers, scalpers' incentive and putting more tickets in the hands of more fans. I think that is a really exciting part of what's to come. And, you know, the music business is a business of micropayments. So, you know, I've been a proponent of the blockchain and cryptocurrency for years because we, the music business is very archaic. I mean, I can tell you up to 15 years ago, they were still putting contracts on 11 by 14 paper. Um, you know, we were faxing things, you know, and to answer your question, Andy, about the, uh, the electronic music artists, the, the two reasons I feel is the electronic music community has embraced the NFT space is two reasons. One is that they've always been very inclined to adopt new technologies. I mean, that is a big part of the electronic music community. And also the way the electronic music community uh, actually monetizes and signs up its rights is vastly different from any other genre of music. So other genres of music, they sign these exclusive record contracts for many, many years 
sometimes with options. Of course, I, as a music lawyer who represents artists and don't really like record companies, try to limit those rights. But those are the traditional forms of record deals that are predominant in the music business, except for the electronic music community. They're usually signing up, you know, one-offs, you know, one track for this label, one track for this label, you know, one album here, one album there. Very rarely are you signing some prolonged exclusive rights deal, you know, and giving them, you know, your publishing and all these other weird things that we're having to fight against. So it makes the community very, you know, flexible to be able to do things like NFTs. Because a big problem that we're seeing in the music industry now is everybody's trying to do NFTs, all the artists want to. And the record companies have their greedy little hands in a lot of the pots trying to figure out how they're going to control it. And, you know, this is a big issue and that everybody has to get around this issue and figure out how they're going to, the fans or, or the, the artists and the songwriters are going to control their art and tell the record companies and the music publishers what their part is, you know, rather than the reverse. Brilliant. Thanks, Tina. Um, maybe one for Heiko and John. The, the, the media and a lot of the stories that you read online are focused on some of these huge sums of money that, that some of these top-tier artists, you know, with their, with their big followings have, have generated through NFT sales. You know, and we're talking multi-millions in some cases. But I'm interested to know, are we seeing any examples of how developing artists and, and new younger people are benefiting or potentially could benefit from creating NFTs in the future? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a, an NFT store on Accelerator called XNFT. So we have lots of independent electronic music artists on there. Not lots, it's been up two weeks, but um, there's like probably like 40 NFTs. Um, and and yeah, we've seen artists uh, make uh, make sales. Um, uh, it's ranged from an individual track, a one of one, uh, that included stems to that track for, for $600. That's more than that artist will make uh, on any track for, for a very long time and in the other platforms. Another artist has put together a package where it's a digital album. They're mailing out a physical copy of the vinyl and they're including a dub plate that, that they're mailing out, uh, which has exclusive tracks by the artist that will never be released. That's a two of two, so it's very scarce. Uh, that sold for $1,500. Uh, on on the store, you know, biggest challenge we see right now with with NFTs. If you're minting and selling your NFTs in Ethereum, where there's no buying friction, the gas fees, the transaction fees can be very expensive. So the biggest challenge is for the independent artist is to have a an ability to create and mint an NFT, put it on on a store, and do it cheaply, and be able to sell their NFT for a cheaper price and allow fan have have more access to that. So there are side chains that are available now, XDAI, Tezos, uh, Matic, now called Polygon, which are allowing, and we support two of those, allowing artists, independent artists, to mint an NFT and sell that for as little as $20 and still be profitable and keep 91% of the profits. So uh, yeah, we're seeing already the independent artists benefiting more than, you know, they're making more money than they're making on the other platforms for sure. And um, on the Beatport side, when we did our drop, um, that was actually one of the core questions that we had when we were doing it. How can we make this also attractive or how can we make this uh, for more emerging artists and not just the big ones out there? Our solution for this was that we were working together with key artists who were all um, yeah, giving exclusive tracks like Boys Noise, Charlotte Witte, um, etc. And then we've asked each of them to pick one emerging artist that they want to support with this. And they offered a second NFT that you could get for free if you bought their NFT. But on the secondary market, if those artists are going to rise in the future, also the value of their NFT is going to uh, rise. So um, that's something that we saw. But I mean, I also see lots of independent artists out there um, doing drops now, for example, on a catalog on Zora, and I know the example of a Berlin-based pianist and, and producer, and he did a music-only NFT, one composition of his. And I mean, it sold, I think, something like for the equivalent of $3,800, but that's for a track that he would release other way while, 
in another way anyway for, for an artist to make this kind of money for a single track and i see nfts more as an additional offering um, that apart from merch downloads streams and limited additional vinyl you can also offer this as an artist so i think as part of that it also makes sense for for smaller artists but i think one of the main things that needs to happen is that NFTs are still out of reach, I think, for the majority of fans, uh, also because of the pricing. And I think that needs to change really for NFTs um, to be more attractive for more artists. That Well, that actually, it brings me on to another question, Heiko, because this is one that, um, you know, I think a lot of people are asking at the minute. And that it is, this is open to everyone. In our sort of group estimation, how big is this NFT market? Because forgive me for making it sound too simple, but are non techie people in inverted commas actually getting involved in this we deal with hundreds of artists at accelerator we talk to independent artists because we we do editorial we do a music subscription service we're talking to artists all the time and now we have our nft store um i would say 100 percent of the artists that i talk to directly and my colleagues talk to um they either have created an nft and have sold an nft already they're in a process of creating an nft and getting ready to do their first drop, or they're interested on how they can create an NFT. And it's not 99.9%, it's 100% of the artists. Uh, I think the market's gonna be really, really big. What, uh, Justin Sun, um, uh, last week, he's the founder of Tron. He's one of the largest buyers of NFTs in the world. Uh, he just spent $6 million on NFTs and donated them to charity. Uh, I heard him speak last week and he was saying, uh, there's still only under a hundred or uh, under 1 million NFT buyers out there so far. And I think we did over a billion in sales uh, in the first quarter, probably over that. And he projects there'll be a hundred million buyers of NFTs in the next two years. So I don't know how that translates into revenue, but that's, we're just scratching the surface, I believe. I think there's there's probably two things. The best report I've seen around music and NFTs is, is Sherry, Sherry, who's the vast majority of NFT revenue that she analyzed um, from the music industry was uh, all, all to electronic artists. So 80% of um, music NFTs sold to the date that she did that report. Uh, 80% were electronic artists. That was about $48 million. But the problem is the last six months of um, this bubble moment in a sense because we haven't gone to this period of normalization i think there's a lot of market manipulation i mean we're leading with these headlines of x million sold in x minutes and that is so harmful to the long-term potential of what this is about i think you it's it's irrelevant that an artist sold a huge global superstar sold four million dollars in 30 minutes because you don't really know the reality of what that looks like i think the bigger question is how long will it take for people to start setting up wallets and how long will it take for that experience to be quite normal? And I think there's a lot of work to be done in the NFT space for these experiences to actually become uh, user-friendly. It's the least user-friendly thing, in the, I think, on the internet in a general sense. You know, you have to set up a wallet, you have to remember a code or that's like 24 letters long. Like it, it, there's a lot of it doesn't make sense to normal user behavior. So as you touched on, like we're in the infancy of this. And I think the long term is is going to be more about how do NF, how does blockchain technology specifically change the ecosystem as a whole? How do companies integrate this technology? And then NFTs is just a part of that. I think it's it's the bigger picture around where this goes. But we when we get to a point of normalization where the pricing actually resonates with what a, a normal consumer is willing to pay that's when you know we'll get to a point of actual like i think mass adoption because i mean why would you pay $500 for a jpeg slash mp4 it doesn't it does there's no reason i think in a rational person's mind to to buy that um so there has to be two things utility is the most important conversation with nfts like how what does this nft actually do i mean great i can store it and put it up if i'm a collector but does it actually give me some additional experience and Personally, and we, we might touch on this later, I think gaming is going to be one of the key things that will trigger NFTs to gain mass adoption, as well as ticketing and these kind of fan experiences. Those are probably like the biggest mass adoption use cases. But yeah, we'll see. There's, it's still so early, as, as mentioned. I mean, six months ago, most people didn't even know what an NFT was. Great. Okay, Dina, I'd like to just 
chat a little bit about the the legal side of things. We've heard that NFTs can take all sorts of different forms and, of course, in some instances, shares in the actual copyright of the music itself are being auctioned off as NFTs. So, I mean, that presents opportunities for fans to potentially own a share of an artist's work and earn royalties from future usage, which is an incredible kind of concept, you know, where previously, like you mentioned, you know, music rights ownership was solely the realm of record labels and publishers. So does that transfer of copyright via this format present any challenges from a legal perspective? I would imagine it does. It does. I think that until the SEC in the United States issues a rulemaking, um, you know, listen, we have Gary Gensler, who was just appointed as the chairman of the SEC or the head of it, the commissioner. And he is the first crypto uh, expert, policy expert that's ever been appointed to be the, he- the head commissioner. This is a big, this is going to be great for us. But, you know, the fans, the, when you're making an NFT, people have to be careful of um, fractional ownership. I mean, this is where you fall into SEC regulation, right? I mean, Hester Pierce, who's also on the SEC commission, issued a, uh, you know, her proposal last year, which said that there was going to be a safe harbor so people can kind of figure out how to create this space without falling awry of the Howey test, which is the test that the SEC uses to figure out if there's an investment triggered or if it's just, you know, something that doesn't trigger an investment. That has to, you have to be careful of that. So when fans, when you're creating the NFT, the artist is, and they're auctioning or they're they're allowing fans to come in and buy a portion of that NFT, um, you know, you can fall awry of, of regulatory infractions. So you have to be careful. But on the other hand, um, the bigger issue for artists is trying to create, you know, what their underlying rights are. That's another issue too, that when you're creating an NFT, you want to make sure that you are clear as far as, you know, you're keeping the underlying intellectual property. So there we've seen some instances where fans are buying NFTs and they actually think that they're purchasing the intellectual property that's embodied on the NFT forever. That's a problem. OK, because I'm sure Paula would would agree that if she writes a song and she puts, you know, she couples it with a piece of art and she sells that as an NFT. She's not assigning the copyright of her music to people that are buying the NFT. So, you know, that's an issue. The other issue, too, is making sure, as Inder has been talking about with uh, smart contracts, which are neither smart nor contracts, you know, I have to point that out, but, you know, that you have to make sure that you get all your underlying rights solidified before the before your NFT is employed on the blockchain, or you're going to, you're going to miss out on the secondary market. And we're seeing that as well. People are just putting up their NFTs without really getting their rights, underlying rights agreements solidified. Dina, can I just jump in and ask, I don't know if this might be a stupid question, but from a layman's point of view, right, most laws done within a jurisdiction, jurisdiction right so i might sign a contract under uk or german or californian law so if if contracts are just being signed digitally on the blockchain do they actually fall under any specific country's legal codes i guess the question i'm asking is what happens when there's a dispute down the line well that's a great question and it's the laws are triggered from where the creation is established so if i'm creating an nft in the united states and i'm employed on the blockchain it's our laws that are implicated um, same thing with France, same thing with Germany. Uh, that's, that's how it, it works. Um, but we all have, because of the WIPO treaty, we've all agreed uh, that we are going to honor each other's intellectual property laws. So the countries are pretty good at that. But that's generally a simplistic answer to your question, Andy. No, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, I know I'm just conscious of time and I know there's quite a few people in the comments who want to ask a few questions. So I just quickly want to touch on um, energy, which I know is 
is a little bit of a touchy subject. It's a big one for this topic. The energy used by the blockchains, you know, where these NFTs exist, raise uh, quite a few environmental concerns. Huge amounts of energy and electricity are being used, and there's been quite a lot of pushback um, in the media about it. So do any of you want to volunteer any insights to share on that and maybe how it might be addressed, or is anything in that kind of world happening at the minute? Mm. Uh, I can uh, tell you a few things that um, we've done and that we're seeing done across the marketplace. I mean, Ethereum requires obviously a lot of energy because it's validating transactions on the blockchain using a proof of work model. Um, and there are they are now moving towards a proof of stake model. And when that occurs and happens, that will require a fraction of the energy and bring down the environmental, you know, the carbon footprint and the energy uses, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. It's been, we don't know exactly when, it could be one year, two years, who knows, depending on who you're talking to. But um, there are other blockchains, there are layer two solutions that sit on top of Ethereum that use a proof of stake, and they are um, uh, very environmentally friendly. They require a fraction of the energy usage. In addition to that, they're a fraction of the cost to use. So the, the fees to create transactions, uh, create a, an NFT, you know, called minting um, are a few cents on the dollar versus Ethereum could range anywhere between, you know, $50 to $1,400 to mint an NFT. So not only will it be better on the environment, but it's going to be a much, it's already a much cheaper solution. And so there's already chains out there that do this XDAI, uh, uh, Matic, Polygon, Tezos, uh, and there's a number of others, but there's a there's a new music store, uh, NFT store coming um, where Quincy, I don't know if you heard about it, uh, one of Quincy Jones is involved and um, and it's going to be more like mainstream artists, but but they're going with Tezos. So they are going in with an environmentally friendly solution. So already you're seeing the industry aware of this and adopting solutions that um, are environmentally friendly. However, they do present uh, a lot of process and buying friction to do that. It's not as easy as buying an Ethereum, but it is much more environment, environmentally friendly. Can I jump in? Um, basically, but um, if you go in a cheaper uh, chain, then obviously you get more NFTs, and then we go in a problem of uh, anyone who has a free track on a hard disk is going to try to sell it. So there's going to be a lot, a lot of, a lot of, um, bullshit NFTs around, and with that, we are not going to save the planet. And obviously, the energy uh, consumption is going to be bigger. So now I'm asking, like, uh, I don't know the the, the answer, but is uh, a cheaper transaction a good thing or bad thing? I know it should be free for artists to to express their their feelings and emotions and and put their work out there. But just imagine, um, because um, I have some friends and they called me, listen, I have 50 unreleased tracks on on, on, on the disc uh, and I uh, want to make an NFTs. And I said, oh, like, why? Why don't you release them? And they said, nobody wants them. So then I said, Yo, you see, so there's a reason why it is on the hard disk and it's not selling on NFTs. So I guess if the price goes down, everybody is going to do loads of loads of uh, NFTs. And I guess the energy consumption is going to be even bigger. So now I'm like, I still didn't decide uh, in my head if that's a good thing or not to have like really cheap um, uh, chains and allowing to actually uh, release a lot, a lot of art out there, even though if uh, half of it is going to be complete nonsense. I think it'll be comparable to the same thing as like social media. The energy usage will be the same as like putting a tweet out. I think that's the argument. So it will be so like negligible that it's kind of like, I think it's inevitable that will, there will be a ton of shit NFTs just because of the nature of, of what it is. Like there already are. I mean, you're, you're right. You're right. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, it's not really transparent yet out there yet, but it will be because there's obviously a lot of blowback on, on the environment from blockchains. Um, even Bitcoin's getting a lot of that. And so there's a lot of uh, miners out there that, you know, validate these transactions on, on the blockchain that actually use renewable energy. They use geothermal. There's a lot of uh, uh, clean solutions to produce energy to, to, to run these blockchains already out there. And I think you're going to see that uh, really take place. 
Um, and that's going to really start to, to gain adoption and, and usage. And, that, and that's going to help as well. That, 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 that's just beginning as well. Well, listen, everyone, a huge thanks for you giving up some of your insight and expertise um, today. We've got a little bit of time left, maybe sort of uh, nine or ten minutes. So we'll open up to questions. Uh, everyone else, if you want to, you know, if you want to turn your video on and give us a wave, please feel free to ask questions. Maybe just introduce yourself first and say hello and then, uh, yeah, fire away. Yeah, if I can ask a question to Dina. Yeah, thanks for the discussion today, guys. Um, as always, Greg, wonderful, Andy. Um, Dina, if you look at NFTs, um, um, so we actually have built a streaming portal. Uh, we're a small venue in, in Eindhoven in Holland. We stream 200 bands, emerging artists. And Heiko, also to your point, we want to now start giving them out as NFTs as, as so people can buy equity in it ah. because it's an interesting model for emerging artists. But Dina, as you said, we, we want to be compliant with SECs all across the world. Do you have advice? You know, I wish I had advice that you would be happy with. I mean, the good news is here, like I said, the new SEC chair, Gary Gensler, is a cryptocurrency expert. That's the good news. And they're very, you know, they, I feel like we're going to have some rulemaking that is going to be very friendly to what we're doing. But, you know, the way it works now is, you know, if you have, if, they use the Howey test to determine if a token is a security or not. That's the issue because you can't, we can't have our tokens be considered a security and everything is fact specific. So I feel like until there's some real solidification in the laws all over the world, I you have to be careful with the fractional ownership. You don't want your tokens to be considered security. So, and people are doing that. I mean, they're doing it now, but the problem with laws is sometimes they get enacted and they're retroactive and that could be terrible. So you just gotta be careful of that. What I suggest is that you definitely engage someone in your respective countries that's an expert in this area of securities before you, you employ that. Yeah, thanks. We're actually in discussion with a legal firm on this and also with the AFM, the Dutch SEC. And uh, because I think it's a great proposition for emerging artists uh, because yeah. we now have from the streaming portal like 220 bands, 2,000 homegrown songs. We're picking the top 50, putting them in Spotify. So it's like a selecting and then people can co-invest in them. I think the idea is super cool. It is super cool. And, it's an, and us as collective innovators, we also sometimes have to drive... Uh, drive legislation in the right direction. Well, listen, I got to tell you something. You know, if I wanted to follow the laws, I'd be a cop. I became the lawyer so I can help create laws and work on laws that I don't like. So you're preaching to the choir here. Greg, did you want to uh, get involved there somehow? Well, it's just there were a few other questions I spotted in the chat. Mm. Uh, it's just whether they've been um, dealt with so far. So one from, from Sylvia from Remarkable was, you know, has research been done um, from consumers on what would interest them in terms of NFTs? Um, so whether it's seen to have mass market potential or will only stay as niche adoption for scarce products? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, two, I believe there's, and we're seeing kind of two markets existing out there uh, of consumers, the buyers of NFTs. One are buyers that um, are collecting art and they're buying these NFTs uh, with the belief that they will go up in value and they're collectors. And those are kind of the crypto art buyers that, that you see spending a lot more capital and, and money on NFTs. Then I believe what we're seeing is there are kind of the music fans and music buyers out there that as these prices get cheaper and they are getting a lot cheaper, um, it opens up the ability for um, consumers to buy to buy music directly from the artist in the same way that they would go buy it off a, a, a typical store. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, there's a there's buying friction right now. I mean, the consumer, the biggest hurdle we have right now is the consumer has to download a wallet. Um, they have to get Ethereum in their wallet. And if they want to buy a, an NFT that's cheaper and use it like a, a side chain, they have to get that currency in their wallet. So there, there's still a process where they're very early stages. But we're seeing that, yeah, 
artists can sell directly, but fans want to buy from that artist that they're they're a big fan of. And so it's not for everybody. If, if you just want to hear music and get everything for a really small price, you go to Spotify and listen to everything you want. But if you want to support that artist and you're a big fan of that artist, and we all have our favorite bands, electronic music musicians, I think it gives the fan the opportunity to really have a direct relationship with that. And prices will come down. They're coming down like big time right now. If I can just add to this, because we at Record Shop, we're actually looking at a platform that is doing that, which is creating this collectorship uh, fan experience where people can actually buy our collectibles just using a credit card. They don't need to have that crypto wallet mm -hmm. where it is going to be affordable, where you can buy a pack which could be $9, $20. So we're already making these movements where we are being available to these bigger populations where we are using, um, just like what's happening in gaming, where there will be this gamification where you can get your collectibles by, you know, buying a pack, uh, seeing what's in there and going to a secondary marketplace, which adds to the fan experience in order to uh, complete your collection. So there are be there are movements already there. And we're hoping to actually gap that bridge with our platform where a lot of it is now auction based, where you need to have a crypto wallet. And I think for a lot of the fans, it kind of scares them off where they feel it's not for us. And we're hoping to actually open up the market where we can sell NFTs, but highly curated just uh, to uh, address the topic that UMAC uh, brought up earlier. I do think it's very important that if you do open a market to a mass audience, there is still some kind of uh, curation happening. So you don't get all the, well, I don't know what the word was exactly what you were saying, but that you can make sure that there is some curation happening there. So it's not just anybody uploading the NFT and then selling it. Well, listen, guys, I know we've, we've run out of time, but it's absolutely fascinating. I think this is the favourite one that we've done so far. So a huge thank you to Heiko Hoffman, to Paula van der Weren, John Wonder, Inderfall, Dina Lapolt, and UMEC. And thanks to everyone else for getting involved in this AFEM Industry Insider. It will be available as a podcast on all the usual platforms uh, very shortly. So a huge thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Eddie. Thank you. This is the AFEM Industry Insider podcast from the Association for Electronic Music. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be hearing from Inez Martinez about a fantastic new project in our member profile. But before that, let's check in with Greg Marshall and see what the AFEM has been up to since we last caught up. Hi, Andy. Yes, lots of AFEM activity since the last podcast. We launched the first phase of the Electronic Music Inclusion Initiative, collaborating with Encorus, who provide an anonymous incident reporting tool. A number of key electronic music companies have come together to take a data-led approach to creating a more inclusive industry. Uh, findings of the first phase of data collection and recommendations for action will be published later this summer. On the live sector focus, our collaboration with a number of live music associations across Europe has influenced the guidance recently published by the European Commission on a coordinated approach to events reopening across Europe. Working also as part of the live association in the UK to pressure the government there on numerous issues, including the urgent need for COVID cancellation insurance to allow large events to go ahead later this summer, and also to address the visa costs and transport issues faced by outbound artists touring in Europe post-Brexit. Uh, we partnered with IMS to help programme speakers for a set of monthly online talks called The Big Questions, a series of discussions to provide high-level insights on the key topics which we as an industry need to find the right paths forward. We've been running working group education sessions for members on green initiatives, mental and physical health, music rights management, online music services insights, and currently developing guiding principles for sustaining the electronic music live sector. There's been so much activity uh, connecting our growing global membership for business opportunities, intel sharing, and initiatives. So if you as a listener are involved in the business of electronic music, whether you're a one-person startup, mid-sized or large established company you know, we want to hear from you and get you involved drop us an email on membership at afemorg.net or send a message through our website associationforelectronicmusic.org this is the afem industry insider hi everyone i'm ines martinez from the organization we all are equal also called wave 
And we are a nonprofit organization that supports companies um, with tools to build an industry full of opportunity to actually thrive regardless of gender. And the idea is that starting with music, Waves Ripple Effect will promote a shift towards a more diverse and inclusive society. The project sort of came about while well, I was doing research for the University of in Holland in the Netherlands regarding gender inequality in the music industry. And we realized that the industry is really waking up and uh, is becoming aware of the current situation. And if we look specifically within the music industry, there is an array of amazing organizations and projects that are actually working on governmental and legislative level. Um, But what we realized is that there's actually a lack of focus on companies and companies are made of individuals. Um, So they're also like the tissue that holds the industry together. Um, They are the ones that have the power to create massive change. And there's a lot of companies that are actually really willing to work, uh, to work towards a more gender balanced music industry, but they don't really know how to do it. Um, and that's where we actually want to help. So we've been creating a toolkit, which is designed for corporations as a compilation of useful and easy to implement actions that a company could take today. So there's like short or midterm strategies to work towards gender balancing their corporation and therefore the music industry. And each action is complemented with tools. So a tool could be like a company or a software that could help you implement that specific action uh, and also resources and information. So why is this important and which change would actually create if our organization would be implemented these actions. And most importantly, to give companies the power to independently take action and implement positive change. The project is for the greater good. It's going to be free for everyone and it will be available in browser, ebook and booklet form. It's an open sourced project and everyone can add actions and resources that are going to be reviewed and added by the board. And it will be updated every year as, of course, the industry and its reality changes. The toolkit is going to be launched on September 1st. Uh, We'll be attending several music conferences to raise awareness on the existence of the toolkit. And you can find us at www.weallareequal.org. And you can also send me an email at info at weallareequal.com. Thank you very much. Thanks very much to Ines and thank you for listening. Really hope you found it useful and interesting and exciting. Make sure you subscribe or follow if you'd like it to land for free in your favourite podcast app every single uh, time we release a new episode. I'm Andy Durant and I'll see you next time for another AFEM Industry Insider. Thanks for listening. The AFEM Industry Insider is brought to you by This Is Distorted, the world's biggest producer and syndicator of electronic music programmes and podcasts. For more information, go to thisisdistorted.com or at thisisdistorted on socials. On air, on demand, on brand. This is Distorted.